Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Dr. Cubitt. We're going beyond the barn. Come join us on this journey as we bust equine and livestock nutrition myths and interview some of the most intriguing experts in the country. We'll go behind the scenes of how premium Western quality forage is grown and brought to your favorite farm and ranch retail store. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Barn. And this is Katie Starr, and I have a special guest joining me in the studio today. Our guest today has been an extension educator for livestock and forages in the Magic Valley for seven years, in the Magic Valley in Idaho, and she also raises cattle and goats with her family. She has been a part of a team that produces the U of I Sheep and Goat webinar series for two years, sharing her experience from her own goat operation. So welcome, Carmen Wilmore. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to be here. And talk about goats. <laughs> yes, one of my favorite topics to talk about, so... It'll be exciting. That's awesome. So just before we get started, any of the topics we cover on the Beyond the Barn podcast are more generalized and not specific to any individual goat or other animal in their specific situation. So be sure to always work with your veterinarian and nutritionist before making any drastic changes to your goat's feed program. And Carmen, just to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background where did you grow up and where did your interest with goats begin? Sure. So I am originally from Iowa. I grew up in a small town in central Iowa. And as a young kid, I lived on the farm with my mom and my dad and my brother and sister. And my dad actually worked, I guess it was the Iowa State University, and they had dairy goat kind of facility there on the university. And so as a kid, my dad and mom had a few Sonnen dairy goats that they had on our farm. I have some pictures of me with these goats as a kid. And so as a young kid, we had goats. And then my parents got more into the cattle, didn't have goats for about probably 10 or 12 years. And then when I was at the end of my being in high school and growing up, my mom got back into goats. And so we kind of had more goats there at the end of my high school, started my college career. And so they kind of had been in and out of my life a little bit sporadically. And then I moved to Idaho with my husband and met some friends that had goats. And so we got back into it when we were first married and had our farm here in Jerome. And my husband had never owned goats before. He grew up raising beef cattle with his dad. And so they were kind of like, why are you buying goats? We're cattle people. We don't have goats, right? <laughs> oh, and I so, know that story. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he fell in love. Yep. <laughs> yes. But he kind of fell in love with them, too. They're really fun. We started out with just a couple of Nubian goats. That's one of the breeds that my mom had when I was in high school. And so I was pretty familiar with them. So we started out with those and then probably a year or two into it is when we started getting a few boar goats. And now we probably have probably two thirds of our herd is the boar goats and then about a third is Nubian goats. So it's kind of the, I've had them in and out of my life and then, you they know, somehow forced my <laughs> cattle husband into getting them. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's awesome. And so what do you do with your goats? What is your, I guess, your specialty or your enterprise that you guys run with your goats? 
Sure. So we have Nubian dairy goats. So we milk those and sell the milk through the Idaho raw milk program. So we're able to milk our goats. We use a machine for our milking. And then we bottle that milk up and sell it weekly to a list of customers. We do a delivery route. And then we also sell through farm co-op, I guess is what I would call it. So we do that with our dairy goats. And then all of our goats are registered. And so we also sell some of the young goats for other people that are looking to get into raising goats and having milk for their families. And then we also have our boar goat herd, which is primarily for 4-H project animals. So we sell 4-H weathers and a few 4-H doelings for projects for the youth in our community. That's awesome. So you have a few different eggs in your basket there, which I think is really great for any kind of agricultural operation, farm operation or anything like that. So that's awesome. We try and be diversified. So we kind of have experience with both the dairy and the the boar goats, the meat goats can sell to both of those audiences. So and it's fun to use them both because when we have little boar kids that maybe they had too many kids, the mama couldn't raise all of them. We have those dairy goats as our backup plan. So it comes in handy. That's awesome. And so Currently, you are the University of Idaho Extension Educator, and in your bio, we talked about the fact that you serve the Magic Valley, which is just kind of a region in southern Idaho, and your main programming focuses on increasing the profitability of livestock management and forage production. Did you always know that you wanted to work in Extension, and what have you learned the most in this position since you started seven years ago? Sure. That's a good question. The question, did I know that I wanted to work in extension? I don't think I knew I wanted to work in extension until I actually got into my master's degree. In my undergraduate, I worked a lot in ruminant nutrition. And so a lot of beef cattle production type of research is what I was involved in. And so I had the opportunity to get a master's degree and continue that research, which I took. And then at the end of my master's degree, it was kind of like, oh, what do I do now? Like, I don't want to go to vet school. I don't really want to get a PhD, but what opportunities are out there? And the position that I have now was open and my husband had a job here in Jerome. And so I applied to it knowing that I had worked with a lot of the faculty with the University of Idaho up on campus in the Animal Veterinary Science Department. And so I was like, they seem like good people. I think I'll apply and get to keep working with them. And so I applied for the job, got the position, and now I work more with the extension faculty, which aren't on campus. But it's been kind of a good bridge between campus and the extension faculty here in the Magic Valley and across the state to kind of work together. And I think that's one of the things that initially I was drawn to extension because I knew about 4-H and getting to be a part of a community and all those things. And a little bit less travel. We do have evenings and some weekends in extension, but a little bit less travel than some of the industry jobs that were out there. And then I get to have the great coworkers that I have working in extension. And so I guess that's, I wanted the job because it was here and I knew the university, but then it's turned into something a lot more than I, than and I thought it would be. here you are seven years later and it's still going well and everything. So what do you feel like you've learned the most in the position since you actually started? I've learned a lot about livestock production and forage management and not being from Idaho I've learned a ton about range management and drought management in a, in a range setting. Right. You didn't really experience it that too much in Iowa, did you? <laughs> no. 
nope, we worried about like flooding and putting in all these tiles under our land to get the water out of the soil. And here we need water in our soil. So it's a very different management perspective being in the West. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I've had to learn. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think that's something that we think about, you know, anytime that we're doing any of these episodes or any kind of education and people are learning across the country from experts and things like that. I think that's why it's so important to take into account and actually work with your local extension offices because they're truly the experts in their areas and their counties and regions on so many things. We just had a recent episode with one of our equine nutritionists, Dr. Cubit, where we talked about how even within counties, how different when you're soil testing, just how different types of soil can just show up and you couldn't be that far away from each other, really. And so that's just why it's so important to kind of have that understanding of how all that works. So you can basically raise the best pastures that you can for your animals and your livestock and just provide them the best nutrition possible. So I think that's great. And then you're also integral team member in producing the University of Idaho Sheep and Goat webinar series. And you said you've been doing that for the past couple of years. What has been your most popular topic with those? So like, what are the goat and sheep owners? What are they consistently asking your team about and wanting to learn more about? So I think one of our number one requested topics and then what we get in our messages and emails all the time is disease management and deworming. Because goats specifically are, historically, they haven't really been seen as like a big production animal in the United States. And so they're a lot of off-label use for dewormers and vaccinations and things like that. There's just not a lot of products that are out there for goats specifically. And so a lot of our questions are, can I give Bovashield 8 or Bovashield Gold to my goats and things like that? And so We always have to refer to veterinarians on a lot of those things, but we try and provide education in that because it's hard when you are going to the farm store or the feed store to get a product to treat your animal, and there's nothing there that says that you can use it on goats, even though a lot of things you can use on goats, but it's a different dosage and maybe a different withdrawal period, and so there's a lot of need for labels that include goats in the future, and I hope in the future that there will be more products that are goat specific, or at least they have a dosage of how much you can give to your goat to treat them instead of having to call your vet every time you have a sick animal. Yeah, of course, like working with your veterinarian, especially when it involves vaccinations and any of that kind of stuff. But I also think it's important for livestock owners to have that understanding, especially like with disease management, because sometimes there are things that come up every year that you have to give, right? But then at the same time, if you are also properly managing your surroundings and where your goats and other animals are all the time, that has an impact on the likelihood of them catching something. And so a lot of that, it's so important that you educate on that. So that's awesome. Yeah. And that's something that we get a lot of messages from people with sick animals needing to know how to treat them. We try and refer them to a veterinarian. We have a couple of veterinarians that are kind of members of our team that maybe aren't as active, but we can refer them in those emails and things to answer those questions. Yes. And that's great advice that we should probably mention here is, you know, if you're ever hesitant about anything, always be sure to reach out to your veterinarian to be able to help support your animals. So goat ownership has really become kind of an intriguing venture for people in the United States over the past few years. I mean, it's it's quite popular in lots of other cultures and, and everything, but just the rise of ownership in the U.S. has kind of exploded. 
From your perspective, what has been the main draw? Are there any particular enterprise options that have seen more consistent growth than others that maybe you and your colleagues have noticed? It's really multifaceted because there's more goats going into the, you know, larger production. So there's more goat dairies popping up because there's a lot of interest in goat cheeses and goat milk and some of these other products that weren't traditionally offered, you know, in a lot of grocery stores are now being offered because there's more production and more people willing to kind of try something new and milk a goat, right? And so I think that's part of it. There's also a lot more consumption of goat meat because we are bringing in new customers and people are getting more familiar with, you know, how to prepare goat meat. And so, again, that's another avenue where there's more marketing for the product that you might be producing. And so if you have a better market, you can produce more of that product. And so I think that's another reason that we're seeing such an increase in in larger numbers, too, of these production type settings, which I think is great because goats are a very profitable animal if you want to use them as production livestock and not just, you know, your backyard pet weed eater, which is what they were traditionally known as, right? As when I was growing up, we had our few goats, right? And we did time to the ditch bank to eat down the weeds in the summertime and that kind of stuff. And I think That's how goats were seen for quite a long time. And then probably in the last 20, 30 years, and it's really started to pick up now. There are a lot more stock shows that are including goats in larger numbers. It's just getting more competitive. And then that goes into, you know, another area of stock show goats that people are breeding for pretty successfully in selling those animals and making a real livelihood out of it. Now, that's excellent. It's interesting to learn more about that and just the interest that's shown and how many people are kind of getting more involved in it, which is great because I think, you know, anytime that anybody has the opportunity where they can get out there and kind of get more hands-on on things like that and kind of have a direct relationship with like their food, I think is fantastic. And I think for some audiences, the goat is, they're mm-hmm. cute, right? They are. <laughs> and so they're cute. They're much easier to handle than some other livestock species like cattle where you might need a larger trailer, you know, a head shoot panels, all those type of things. There's a lot of infrastructure just in owning cattle, where with goats, you can get away with a lot less infrastructure for just a few of them. So they're a little bit easier to maintain on a small acreage, which a lot of people in recent years have been trying to move back to the farm and they want to have their dream on 10 acres kind of a thing. And so they're better animals suited for those small acreage type of settings. And so our main topic today that we'll be speaking about is feeding goats. And so just to get us started, I mean, we've been talking about a few different species and everything, but what type of digestive system do goats have compared to, let's say, like horses or llamas, cattle, any other kind of species? Right. So goats are a ruminant species similar to cattle. So they can eat a forage-based diet and they can use that forage very well and turn it into evolved fatty acids and what their body needs to function and grow. Horses are a hindgut fermenter, and so they are different than goats, and that's why they kind of will eat different things. And then a llama is actually, it has a three-compartment rumen, I guess it's the best way to describe it, 
And so they're not exactly the same as a goat, even though I've had some people kind of be confused by the two. Right, right. Llamas and alpacas are just a little bit different in that respect. Yeah, and I think that's a good question for us to kind of get started on. I think most of our listeners probably know some of these differences, but if we do have any listeners that are new to ownership and wanting to get into owning a different type of species or anything like that, I think it's really important for them to understand first and foremost how those animals digest the food that they're consuming because that's very important when it comes to making sure that you're feeding them the right things and that their digestive system is being fed to where it can be working properly and the most efficiently because that also can save the livestock owners more money, right? If you're getting the most bang for your buck out of the feed that you're giving them. And so, and let's talk about feeding requirements. How are goat feeding requirements determined for maintenance and growth? How did we come up with those numbers? So those numbers are created by a conglomerate of research projects. So there's a lot of research going on in the country and the world actually on goat nutrition and production. And so they can take that research and kind of boil it down, I guess I would say, into a requirement. And so what they do is they will test different levels of protein energy, TDN, and feed those different levels to a set of goats and measure their growth rate. You get to that point where they're growing and using the feed to its best ability. And then after you get to the point where they're kind of wasting some of that feed, it's not going directly to growth is when you know that you've hit the peak of the needs to meet their growth. And so how much dry matter does a goat actually need per day for growth and maintenance? I know obviously those are two different ones, but even, and I know it's also dependent on different life stages as well. So maybe you could just give us a few basic examples there that we can get an idea of. Sure. So goats on average will consume four to 6% of their body weight in dry matter. And so for, let's say a 140, 150 pound goat, that would be between seven and eight pounds of dry matter per day. So if you had hay, that's maybe 85% dry matter, that might be about nine pounds of hay per day for them to meet their feed requirements. For a smaller goat, let's say a 40-pound goat that's you know just weaned and in that really rapid growth phase, they might actually consume closer to that 6% of their body weight in dry matter So that would be closer to two and a half to three pounds per day of feed requirement. So for anybody that's kind of maybe like the term dry matter is kind of like new to them. Anytime we talk about, and we've talked about this actually quite often with Dr. Cubit on some of our horse episodes when we talk about how much horses need in pasture, but in hay, but like the amount of moisture that is in pasture grass versus dry hay is significantly different. And so sometimes people don't realize like thinking about how often horses out on pasture and how they're grazing for so many hours in the day. And it seems like they're eating so much, but it's really because there's so much moisture in that grass. It's ultimately what we're getting down to is that dry matter factor and how much they need. So how would maybe like a new goat owner, how would you suggest they get that figured out if they're trying to understand how much dry matter their goat needs? Would it be to work maybe with like their local extension with their veterinarian? What do you think would be good for them to kind of get that figured out so they're being efficient with their feeding? Yeah, of course. So we can take forage samples, whether it's a pasture or if it's hay. So you can go and take a sample I usually just submit it to the lab. I don't do the dry matter calculations myself, but I can submit that to the lab and it'll say, you know, in this 
said of hay, the bales are on average 85% dry matter or 70% dry matter, whatever it is. And then you know, okay, so if it's a 10 pound flake of hay, really that's only seven pounds of dry matter because there's three pounds of water in it, I guess is the best way to explain it, or moisture. And so really when they consume that, they're only consuming the seven pounds of dry matter and then the three pounds of water or moisture. And then is there a particular type of hay that goats should be fed? So maybe like a legume or grass or maybe a mix of both. And again, I know this is dependent on the use of the animal and life stage, but maybe you can share a few examples with that as well. Sure. So if you have access to alfalfa hay, we usually would try to feed alfalfa hay to our breeding or pregnant animals because they do have a higher requirement in a legume hay or alfalfa hay is what we have access to, has higher protein in it. And so that hay can usually provide the protein that they need to get ready for the breeding season. And once they're pregnant, you know, maintain the growth of that young animal inside of them. And then also we try and continue that into their lactation so that they again are getting enough protein and energy to maintain their own body condition, but also the really high requirement of a lactating animal. Something like grass hay, we would usually feed if they are not lactating, they're not getting ready to breed or pregnant yet, so they're just kind of maintaining their weight. We're not asking a lot of them. That's a situation where you can feed them grass hay where it would have a lower protein availability in that hay. And so they don't need as much during that time. So you can feed that during those non-breeding seasons to your male animals or during other when they're not pregnant or lactating to your female animals. And then what particular goats would benefit from an added grain or concentrate supplement to their diet? So typically we would recommend something like a grain or concentrate to a young goat that you're trying to raise for market. So these would be our meat goats. So the boar breeds are the most popular and there's a lot of different products out there. But really, they need to have about 16 to 18% crude protein to meet the requirements of those rapidly growing animals because they're growing maybe not a pound per day, but they really have to grow pretty fast to get to a marketable weight within a good time frame for like a 4-H project. Or even if it's not a 4-H project, just a, a market goat that you're trying to get to market before they're a year old. Another situation where you would be feeding a really high concentrate diet would be lactating animals. So whether that's a dairy goat in any production, you know, if it's conventional or even a small farm dairy goat, they should be fed a very high protein concentrate diet to meet their requirements to produce milk within a reasonable, you know, cost structure. So you don't want to be feeding them so much grain that they're not actually able to turn that into the milk and you're just wasting the feed on them, but you want to be able to provide them something so they're not just losing all of their condition, but still make, making that milk for, for production. And you had mentioned for the meat goats protein requirements, what are the requirements for lactating goats? So for a lactating goat, that's about 11% crude protein. And I would say that's a pretty basic requirement. Most lactating dairy goat rations would be closer to 16% or 17% crude protein in the ration, even though the requirements are a little bit lower if you want to get them into peak performance, can provide more to get them into that higher performance. When it comes to certain vitamins and minerals, obviously this can be very dependent on 
the hay that you're feeding, where that's from, or like locally where you live, what do we need to take into account when it comes to vitamins and minerals? So I would definitely work with a veterinarian or your local extension agent to test your forages and your other feeds, and then select a supplement to supplement your livestock based on what those tests come back at. So in certain regions of the country, there can be selenium deficiencies or toxicities and so you need to be able to supplement to account for that so that your animals still meet the requirements for their optimal growth. And I want to chat a little bit about a common myth that I'm sure we've all heard. And you kind of talked a little bit about it earlier. But the fact that goats will literally eat anything is there truth to this? Because like they put this in movies. I'm thinking about one of the kids shows that my kids watch. And it's funny to me because they have a <laughs> a goat chewing on like a tin can. Like, what's the story with that? I guess I don't know what the story is, but I'll put it this way. A goat will chew on and try to eat almost anything. Should they eat almost anything? No, it's not true that they can eat anything and survive. I guess that's what I try and tell people. They might try and eat everything that falls into their pasture. Like a feed bag gets into the pasture and they're all chewing on it, right? But that doesn't mean that they should chew on it or that that feedback is going to actually keep them alive and sustain their growth. So it's not true that they can eat anything and survive is the way I try and tell people. But they actually are very selective. If you have goats, many of us that own goats always complain about how if you purchase first cutting alfalfa hay, they only will eat the leaves and they select against the stems and so you're only, you know, they're only eating a portion of what you're giving them because they just want to eat the leaf because that's the good stuff and they don't want to have to chew on that stem. So they can actually be really selective with what they're eating and they're much pickier than you might assume. And that's what I find to be so funny about that is because when people have this perception of goats of wanting to get them to basically maybe eat down what other animals won't and everything. But then on the other hand, because what you just said, I have heard that a number of times is the fact that they're selective when it comes to alfalfa. And so I just find that so interesting. We tried to feed our goats a few years ago, some really rough feeder hay, like just basic feeder hay that you would feed to cows. And they ate a third of it. And the rest of it, we just had to clean the bunk out and feed the rest to the cows because they wouldn't touch it. What type of grazers are goats? Because we know that depending on the species, they tend to eat different types of things or even in a different way. And how does that compare to some of those other species? Sure. So goats are browsers. So what that means is they like to go out and select their food. So if they're put in a pasture situation, they're going to walk around and they're going to find the stuff that they want to eat first and they're going to pick that out. If there's any trees in the pasture or any brush, they are going to eat that first. They're going to pull the leaves off of the trees. They're going to kind of chew on the branches, that kind of stuff. They just love that stuff. That's what they were kind of built and designed to do is to go out and browse and pick up the things that maybe your other livestock wouldn't. If it's the only thing available, they will definitely eat pasture pasture grasses and they'll go out and graze in a more traditional setting, but they really prefer to browse, I would put it. Whereas sheep are 
a similar, you know, they're always kind of grouped together, right? Sheep and goats. Sheep are more of the grazers. So they will go out and you can watch, you could put sheep and goats in a pasture and you'd actually see this difference where a lamb is going to go out. They're just going to eat whatever's in front of them. They're just going to graze. They might select some alfalfa for a while because it's a little sweeter and then they're going to go back to the grass. Whereas the goat is going to go get what it wants and then find the next plant. And it kind of is very selective in how they go around because they want to browse and get the really good stuff first, I guess is the best way to put it. That's kind of the benefit of goats is in a range setting, they can actually be used for a lot of weed control because they're going to eat plants that a cow wouldn't. And so they can be used really beneficially in that setting. And I think that's great. Dr. Cubitt and I talked about this about a previous episode about how, although it can be difficult sometimes, it's actually in an ideal world, it would be great if you had the opportunity to own multiple species because, and with enough land to do it, because you can rotate them out and one species will eat certain plants or whatever is out there while the other ones will eat the ones that the other species didn't eat. And so in an ideal pasture management world, it would be great to have multiple species to rotate through. And what do you find to be the most difficult when it comes to actually feeding goats? I would say managing their intake because they can be so selective. You really have to purchase the right forage or have the right forage available in a pasture that they will eat it and be able to maintain their growth. The other part of that is when you are feeding hay to them, because some of them have horns, some of them don't, it's really hard to get a good feed set up where there's not so much waste. And I think that's one of the main complaints and concerns I get from other goat owners is how do I feed them the hay without them wasting half of it? And that's a really common complaint among goat owners. There are a few different designs using wire panels and putting them in a V shape and then putting the hay in between. And that can work. However, then they still will try and kind of climb in there because they're a goat, right? They like to climb on things. So they'll climb in there. And then another concern with goats is parasite control, internal parasite control. And so you really have to work hard to keep the hay up and so that they're not getting any feces in it or laying in the feeders and pooping on the hay at all, there's contamination there. So I would say that's probably the most difficult part about feeding them is just getting them to eat all of what's given to them, especially in a forage setting so that they're not so selective. And do you have any advice for people who are interested in getting into raising goats? Maybe they haven't taken the leap yet, but they just have questions. You know, you've gone through this experience. You've probably failed sometimes and learned from those failures. And then obviously with your extension work, do you have any advice that you could give to those new owners? Sure. My biggest piece of advice if you're looking to own goats is to find a reputable breeder. Buy your animals from someone that you can develop a relationship with because most of our vets are learning about goats as we're learning about goats because, like I said, they're kind of a new livestock species in many areas. And so some of our vets just don't have a lot of experience, but our breeders do. And so if you can find a good breeder in your area that you can call if you have an emergency and they can talk you through things, that's probably the best place to get started, even if you're just going to get a few animals. Get them from the same herd and try and make sure that the animals have been vaccinated, dewormed, herd health testing is another really important part of owning goats. 
all of those things are important when you go out to purchase an animal. And I know it can be really hard in certain areas, depending on where you're at, vet-wise, just vet availability. You know, obviously, you can find a small animal vet anywhere. And there's a lot of great resources there. And then you get into the larger livestock and in certain areas, you know, they're very prevalent, but, and there could be other areas where it's just a little bit more limited in their ability to that. They might be geared more towards small animal because that's what a lot of people own, but maybe have a little bit of hand in the larger livestock. And so it can be challenging depending on where you live. Yes, exactly. And that's That's something that in my extension work, that's probably why we get so many veterinarian questions because goat owners, you know, they get a goat thinking it's going to be like having a big dog or something and and it's not. Not at all. Put a diaper on it, stick them in the house. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's happened. I have seen it so many times. You can't treat a goat like a dog, right? uh, Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've had one in my house, but, but not a diaper. Well, and I think, you know, as livestock owners, we all have had animals in our house. Like I remember, you know, bringing in calves that, you know, it was too cold outside. Like totally understand it. I have seen some Facebook groups where it's somebody who's new to owning goats and they do, they buy it thinking, oh, this could be friends with the dog or whatever. And then they're back on there trying to like, I don't think I should have them. You know, I have them in their house, you know, with a diaper. And it's just like thinking about like, what's the best thing for our animals and our livestock and making sure that we're making good choices, even if we're new to all of this, maybe not be bringing them into a situation where it's not the best for them. Sometimes I think we just good for us to get a better understanding of what are the best needs for those animals if they need to be with other species and out in the environment, they're meant to be out there, right? It's okay. We don't always have to bring our animals in. They will be just as happy. Happy outside in the grass. Let me eat my leaves and my branches. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. And as we wrap this episode up, what are a few takeaways that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Your main takeaways from our conversation that we had today? Sure. I think goats are a great farm animal. They're a great animal to bring onto a farm if you're just getting started because they are easier to handle than some of the other species. And there's really a great community of goat owners out there in the West, in Idaho, and I'm sure across the United States, to learn about how to raise goats. And we really care about goats and we want them to be cared for correctly. And so we're willing to have hard conversations and help you make good decisions for your animals. And then I think another important thing about goats is they're very social animals. And so If you want to have goats, you're going to have to have more than one. And it's very important. You have to have more than one. And I'm sure we've all seen those like memes on Facebook and Instagram of like one goat is actually five and five goats is actually 30. So just know that there, if you get one or two, you might have like 20 within a couple of years if you're not careful. So it just happens. Like with chickens, people always talk about chicken math, right? Yeah. It's just, it, you know, really yep. it comes down Same to it. It can happen with, it can happen with horses. It can happen with goats. You just know what you're getting into. <laughs> you can't have just one. It's not a one and done deal. <laughs> and then how can our listeners stay connected with you after this episode? Sure. So we have the University of Idaho Extension Sheep and Goat Facebook page, and then the University of Idaho Extension Livestock YouTube And so you can find us there. We load all of our webinars onto the YouTube page for you to watch later. And there's, I think there's over 50 videos on there for anyone looking to get into sheep and goats. There's a lot of good educational information there. 
And then if you want to find me personally, Carmen Wilmore, we do have Instagram page for our farm. It's Rock Bottom Goat Dairy. And we try and share some of our, our goats and farm life on there. And we'll be sure to put these links in our show notes so they can find you if they're looking. So, and to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any ideas on topics or if you have any feedback on our podcast and the episodes that we've been offering, we love to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at stanleyforage.com. And Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. This was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to talking to people if they have any questions. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Barn podcast by Stanley Forage. We'd love for you to share our podcast with your favorite people and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Until next time, keep your cinch tight and don't forget to turn off the water.